Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell them you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again this morning. No virtual background. I am wearing the virtual background on my on my apparel this morning. As we record this, we were in the midst of a snowstorm last night. So I am snowed out of my podcast studio, but we're going to make it work because the conversation is worth it. And I've got a dynamic conversation coming for you this th- today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I have a guy that helps introverted leaders find their voice so they can create impact. And, and some of you out there that may be listening might, ra- might be raising your hands and saying, that's me. You want to dial into this podcast this morning because I've got somebody that can help you. Coach, trainer, TEDx speaker, Stephen English joins me this morning on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Stephen, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Brian. We are here in Texas where there's not any snow today. Thank you. <laughs> we had a last year around a couple of weeks from this point, we had our snowstorm. So all of us here are kind of licking our wounds, hoping we can have a nice, warm, uh, winter, you know, unseasonably warm and yeah. we won't get any, any snow, but, uh, no, doing great, doing great this morning. I've been up since, uh, four 30, did my, my daily workout and then got on and, and recorded my own podcast. Uh, well not recorded. I was doing a live. So it was kind of, it's kind of cool doing back to back. So and now we'll I'm get, in, yeah. And we'll get into that here, yeah. here, here in a few minutes. And, and so let me start here. Yeah. You are based out of one of the hottest real estate markets in the United States right now, because again, as we've seen the last two years, people are shifting their lifestyles. They're shifting, they're deciding as as the COVID-19 pandemic has created opportunities for folks to, to shift their work from an on-premise work environment to a remote work environment, working from home essentially, or working from wherever home is. You've got a lot of people that are transplanting to Austin, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Florida, some of those different areas. We're starting to pick some of that up here in West Virginia ourselves. Our population's had a little bit of a climb. Take me through the last couple of years for you, kind of what you've seen and maybe a lesson that you've taken from the last couple of years that once we get through this time, 
and we will get through it, but once we get through it, it'll be something that you carry forward, not only personally, but professionally as well. Wow. Uh, lessons I've taken from the last couple of years. Well, I'll tell you, I went through a pretty big transition in the last two years. I was working in corporate America for 22 years. So I was a, a product quality and reliability engineer working in the semiconductor industry. I had uh, really moved up into management positions. I was actually offered a director position at one job and it just wasn't really my thing. And as a result, in October of 2018, I started my coaching business as let's say my second life, right? I had, uh, you know, we all have 168 hours in every week, 56 for sleeping, 56 for our day job and 56 for ourselves. That's mm -hmm. a good night's sleep, by the way. Yeah, I don't think most people get that. And what happened was I, I went and began this transition in 2018. I completed it December 8th of 2020. And looking at the last two years, you know, here being we just got into 2022. Mm -hmm. The first thing that was a big lesson for me was that you really can do whatever it is that you want to do. If you, if you will yourself to, you uh, take daily action, you create new habits. And, and I had to create a lot of new habits for myself. You know, you, you, you look at, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, Austin here, you know, we have, we have just such a diverse, yeah. Uh, and, and large population coming in of tech folks. And so really for me, what has had to happen was I've just really had to put myself out there. I've joined a lot of face-to-face -face networking groups, which is really kind of funny considering that we're now in, in COVID mm -hmm. I've gotten involved in the, uh, Williamson County society for human resource management. I'm now they're vice president of communication. So I've really just had to kind of spread my wings in a way that it is very, very different than most of my career. And I guess the lesson here would be just, you know, be bold, be courageous, get out there and, and really learn to ask for what it is that you want. And that's really proven quite effective for me really in the last couple of years. I love what you said there about spreading your wings, because a lot of times what, what will happen is that people will get to the point to where one of two things happens, Stephen. They'll get to the point where they'll say, I have capacity for more, or I need to, to have capacity for more by, by pairing things off, by divesting of certain things. And I love what you did there. You, you said something really important in that, in just now when you were talking, what you said was, Hey, I was kind of in this, this box, if you will, of just doing my thing, keeping, basically what I heard you say was keeping my head down and working, just doing my thing, just, you know, living life as I thought it should be lived, you know, going to work, family, whatever. And, and just, and, and, and I love that moment where you were kind of like, it's time to spread out. Can you take me to that moment where it, it, and, and may, it may have been a series of moments that led to that epiphany, or it may yeah. have just been that one seminal moment where you just said, there is capacity for more. There's got to be more, and I've got to be intentional in finding it. 
Yeah, it really was a series. It was really a series. I'm not a burning bush kind of person where there's this moment of, you know, immediate clarity and, and oh my goodness, here it is. Yeah. It really, you know, I've, I've, I've jokingly said I'm a slow learner, but it's not, I, I think I'm more of the, um, you know, William James talks about the, the spiritual experience and talks about the educational variety. And I, I was, I was an educational variety of, of spiritual experience. You know, I had you, to, forgive me for jumping yeah. in there. You've triggered something right there that I want to dive in on for just a moment. Sure. I'm a football fan. You live in, in foot, you live in the heart of football crazy. So I'm going to make a, a football analogy. There are times when you bring a quarterback into your, onto your team, great talent, great ability to throw the ball, maybe a really good runner, but they're a little slower digesting the playbook. And then you may have some people, some guys that come in that aren't as talented throwing the ball, aren't as fast, but they pick stuff up extremely fast. They, they, they pick it up quickly. You give them a play or two, and, and in five minutes, they're on the whiteboard regurgitating, if you will, or, or breaking down what you just gave them. Take me through for you. You, you mentioned kind of being a slow learner, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because, again, mm -hmm. we, we all take in information in different ways, and then we, we, we pour it out in different ways. Was that something you had to overcome inside of you, or did you take that, that knowledge that you had of yourself and make it a strength in your life? Well, I think ultimately the, the slow learner was just that I always seek some kind of level of stability, and I had to do things at my own pace. Like, for example, I worked with a coach for quite some time. He, he was there at the beginning of my coaching career. And he was always like, dude, just quit your job. Just quit your job, quit your job. And I couldn't make that leap because I wanted to see proof, right? I wanted to see incremental progress. You're probably that, like a lot of other people that, yeah. that would be in that same boat, Stephen, because again, yeah. you know, it's easy for somebody else to tell you to quit your job and, and they're not staring down the barrel of your mortgage and your electric bill and your car payment. So yeah, I, I understand that. Go keep forgive yeah, me yeah. for jumping just, in there. You no, that's okay. That that's quite all right. And I, I appreciate it. I, what I, where I was going with that is that, that really that, that was kind of like my style is, is to, to have, kind of proof of concept, right? Like I would do a, I would do a, a pilot run of something, even when I was in corporate and I was deploying systems across an organization for like preventive actions, yeah. a corrective action system, I would pilot in one department first, and then I would roll it out because I would let that one department find all the bugs and features. And then we would go and, and do some iteration of fixing it and then come out to the larger audience. So I had to do that for myself. I mean, this really all starts, you know, you talk about, well, you know, walking you through it. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take you back to, you know, really midlife crisis, right? I mean, I remember standing there, it was probably 2013, 2014, I uh, had just gotten divorced. I was looking at my life going, is this all there is? Is this what I'm going to do until I'm, you know, pushing up daisies? And I, I started reaching out to various mentors in my life. I had, you know, I have an uncle who's a consultant. Uh, he turned me on to a personal development 
organization called Landmark International. I did mm. Landmark Forum, which maybe some of your listeners are familiar with. I did Landmark Forum. I did Landmark Advanced. Uh, I then started to really, even though it was somewhat amorphous, I started to craft a vision for myself, at least of different possibilities. You know, I yeah. said, well, one, maybe I'll go be a consultant in Six Sigma because I, I have a background in, in Six Sigma, um, having deployed it at ST Microelectronics worldwide. Then after that, I went over and uh, looked at being a consultant in like strategic planning, more maybe some soft skill stuff. And then I went and, and looked at coaching and in each one of those buckets, you know, I met with experts in those fields, like masters in the field, right? Like, like when I did Six Sigma, when I looked at Six Sigma, I, I sat down and had uh, a meal with Forrest Brayfogel. Forrest Brayfogel wrote the book, Implementing Six Sigma. It was, I think it was either written in 1999 or the year 2000. It is a compendium of everything Six Sigma. It's a thousand page book. And I, I remember sitting across from him and listening to him and just saying to myself, my goodness, I don't want to do this. Like not the meeting. I mean, I enjoyed meeting. Well, him. it would have been so easy for you to, to have, have walked in your comfort zone because there's a lot of people, Stephen, that, yeah. that will, that will say, okay, if I'm going to do this particular thing in life, if I'm going to, if I'm going to consult or coach or do something like that, I'm going to do something where I have a broad base of knowledge where I can probably walk in day one and, and do some transformative things with businesses, with individuals, things like that. And it's natural to walk there. I, I, I'm curious about that moment during the dinner. And, and again, it, mm -hmm. for me, it would be probably somebody like, um, if I could step back in time, one of my heroes was Zig Ziglar. If yeah. I could step back in time, and, I, and, and, and his son Tom's a friend of mine, if I could step back in time and have a dinner with Zig, that would be that would be for me the ultimate as you're in that dinner and you say to yourself this isn't for me yeah what was your takeaway from that moment because not too many people get to spend that kind of time with someone who is an implementer a creator i, I would say this i would say it would be like a football coach having dinner with Bill Walsh, somebody that ran that it, that was the father of the West Coast offense. Mm -hmm. You know, getting to sit down, or, or you know, just recently, uh, the sports world lost John Madden, a great coach yeah. and broadcaster, and thing. You know, be like like a young broadcaster getting to sit down and having a meal with John Madden or a young football coach. When you're in that moment and you say this isn't for you. Did that lead you to more soul searching about yeah, what was for you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What it, what it was is that I just followed my feelings in that moment. I was listening to him and nothing about it was that appealing. And to be, you know, brass tacks, as simple as it is, it's just, there's too much about numbers and spreadsheets and doing crap that I really don't like doing. And I thought to myself, you know, there's not enough, like, touchy feely about this. And, and I'm more of a, a feelings kind of guy. And, you know, I, 
personality wise, uh, you know, my strengths, you know, when I look back on my, my strengths in corporate America, it wasn't really the hard skills. It was more of the Scott, the soft skills, the influencing, the being able to really connect to people. And I didn't get that feeling when I was talking to him, that that was what would make me super successful and, or I guess you could say there was too much, um, too much of a price to pay on the other side of operating outside of my zone of genius. So like doing stuff that felt like drudgery. And so then I said, okay, well next. And so I had that conversation with him. Then I got with my uncle and I spoke to him. I said, Hey, next time you go to a client, would you be okay if I did a ride along? Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I, I purchased airline tickets. I happened to have a childhood friend that lived in the area. So I got to kind of do a two for one there. I flew out. I met with him beforehand. I asked him how I could be useful. And then I just watched, I just watched. And I was from the other side. I was not on the receiving side. I wasn't a customer, nor was I really the facilitator. I was kind of in a gray zone between the two where I could kind of see behind the curtain. And it was really great. It was really great. I said to myself, you know what? I can do that. And I have done that since. I teach classes, I facilitate. But I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Yeah. So I, I knew it, at, at the end of that day, it was really to me saying to myself, I can do this. I definitely can do this. And it gives me more energy than when I started. Like, in other words, I sat there in the morning having breakfast with him. And then at the lunch break, man, I was, I was, I was on fire, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a clue. Like when that happens to you, either when time passes quicker or when you've got more energy, when you stop something than when you started, that's a clue that that's in your zone of genius. So then I moved on from there and started talking to some people about coaching. And then it came down to, okay, I was, in, I was thinking about education. I was like, okay, am I going to go get an MBA? Baylor MBA, $86,000. University of Texas, Austin, executive MBA, 109. And those are both dated numbers. I'm sure they've gone up since. And I thought to myself, wow, what a, what a dice throw. And things in the curriculum are not interesting to me. Finance, I don't give a crap. <laughs> I don't care. That was my MBA experience. Exactly. For me, it was quantitative statistics, Stephen. I I was, I I said, look, if I can pull a C out of this class, I will take that ball and run. Yeah. Take the C, right? The C, you know, pass or punt, whatever. Um, Throw the ball away and live to, to, you know, live live to fight another play. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so I just. I'll go. I'm just going to wrap that up. Let me just wrap this up real quick because then I was, hey, coaching, boom, 12 grand. I said, I go get a, go get my coaching certification, go study coaching. Now it costs a lot more than that after I paid for my own coach, but that was it. You know, I said, Hey, it's an experiment, right? Like there's people out there, they, they drop $70,000 on a new Tesla or, or $80,000 on a new BMW. I said, forget it. I'm just going to drive my Honda and get myself an education. Yeah. I love that. Let's step aside and take a break. We come back. Here's where I want to go. You you hit on something a moment ago that I want to take a, a deeper dive into, and that is really understanding your skills. You, 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 you said a moment ago, you really had to understand your skills. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how people find their skills 
It may be something they come to early in life and they know exactly what they're skilled at. Maybe something that they come to later in life. And so I want to have a conversation for a few moments around that. My guest is coach, trainer, TEDx speaker, Stephen English, joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us, and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt, or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car. Whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year, let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Stephen, before the break, you were talking about really understanding your skills. And, and I love that because in life, and, and I'll use myself in as, a, as an example, I know way more now than I did when I was 40. I'll be 50 in August. I feel like in the last five years, I know way more now than I did five years ago when I was 45. And I felt like then I knew quite a bit, and I had my MBA, and I had a, a bachelor's degree. I had a lot of experience. But, you know, the last five years or so, as you talked about those zones, like that impact zone, that that different, that, that the different area of genius that you, and I love that, that terminology. It's, it's really discovering who you are, where you are, and where you can go. What is the, as you're coaching people, what is the biggest challenge that you find that people face in finding their skills? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. There's, so I just want to honor that concept of zone of genius. So Gay Hendrick uh, wrote a book called The Big Leap. And in there, he talked about the four zones. There's your zone of incompetence, your zone of competence, your zone of excellence, and your zone of genius. I think one of the biggest problems is that most people, they, because of our need to please other people and our need to have the pat on the back, is we go and we say, okay, I'm going to avoid this thing that's in my zone of incompetence, this thing that I'm okay at. All right, I'll do some of that some of the time. But then you know, we start to get the, the pats on the back and the, the annual bonuses and the, the, you know, top 10% because of things that are in our zone of excellence. Stephen, I think even the a, greatest quote I heard once yes, sir. To, 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 to piggyback off of that. One of the greatest quotes that I heard once is from a baseball pitcher from in the 1970s named Claude Osteen. Yeah. And he said this, a pat on the back is merely 18 inches from a kick in the butt. Truth. 
Truth. And and, and, and let's go there for a second. For, yeah. Forgive me for interrupting, but you're, you're really diving deep into something that is is tantamount to many people's bane of existence, and that is the the affirmation quality. Yeah. Is, is that they they thrive and i used to be that way i used to thrive on it if, if if i would have taken a personality assessment early if i could go back 20 or 25 years taking different personality assessments in, in early in my career i would have very much been that person probably from 25 to 35 that that thrived on affirmation mm-hmm. now it's just not that important it's more about genius. It's more about impact. How do we shift ourselves mm-hmm. from that from that affirmation need to that to seeking impact? Because I love and I, and I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile when I say that, and I love it. You help those leaders find their voice so they can create impact. And impact is so powerful because influence is fleeting, right? Affirmation is fleeting. Mm-hmm. It's here for a moment, and it's like a vapor. It just vanishes. But impact can last even after we pass away. The impact that we can continue, and that's why this, you know, that's why we do the the intentional encourager podcast with video and audio. Because mm-hmm. if I die tomorrow, this this podcast can live on and continue to impact people as they find it. Why do you think that is a challenge for some people to shift their thinking from affirmation to impact? Yeah, that's that, that's a, a great question. I think what it is, as you as you point out, is that people get they get addicted, or maybe that's a, a strong term, but they get um, they they really feel that what they need is that pat on the back, and it becomes almost like um, like a, a, a noise where there are some things so maybe it's a it's a, there are some things where they're all they're getting a pat on the back and it's in their zone of genius but because all they're really seeking is the pats on the back they don't notice those other um those other sensations that come like i mentioned there like you know the the time passing very easily and the amount of energy that you have that that thing is also in their zone of excellent or excuse me in their zone of genius it's it's both in their zone they're they're getting the pat on the back and the affirmation from the world but it actually is in their zone of genius so they need to be able to separate those two things out um one thing that you asked earlier is how do people get to know what are their strengths and in or or, or what are the things that they could do that might be, you know, really beneficial to the world or, or at least beneficial to them, excuse me, more beneficial to them because the beneficial of the world, it, it all depends on who your audience is, right? Like right. It's going to be, it's going to be beneficial to anybody. Values defined differently by every person. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you want to look on, you want to find the thing that lights you up, right? Like, you know, that if, if it, if it really lights you up and in your, um, you're excited to do it. You're energized to do it. You're going to be able to create that, that impact with people. And where I start with people, really it's two things. And you were using the term personality assessments, uh, that I would agree with that. That's a great start. There's a whole host of them out there, but one of them that's really, uh, real simple. And I think very, very actionable based upon what you learn from it is the Gallup Strength Finders. I love that tool. I love Isn't it that. great? Yes. 
Yeah. And, and anybody can go down to, you know, either Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And it's I 20 out, bucks and you can, and you can learn yeah. a ton about yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I found out though at Barnes and Noble, it's behind the counter because people have been going and they just um, take a picture of the code and then use the code out of it to take the assessment. So, so just note, if you go to Barnes and Noble, you're going to probably need to ask them behind the counter, but, um, but yes, that's a great place to start. I remember when I took it, it was so striking because they had, it, it was a, it was part of a training course. Mm -hmm. And so first thing was that we all had to take the assessment and then write our top five with the language around each one that really resonated with us. So I have a, I even have a picture in my phone, right. Of, of here's my top five. And then the words that, that are associated with each one of them that really resonate with me. And I remember the instructor, he's a good friend of mine, Bob Lewis, Bob walked around and he looked at it and he goes, wow, yours are very different than everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> and this is before I changed my career. And I'm hey, going, that's a good thing. I, I like being different. Yeah. Oh, I, I do too. And I also like doing what it is that really, that God designed me for. Uh, and, and so it was funny. I, I found, okay. So my top five are harmony, woo, which means winning others yeah. over futuristic individualization and empathy. And I remember looking at him going, yeah, that's me, you know? Uh, so, so that would be the first thing I would do. Like anybody who's out there going, you know what? I don't feel like I'm doing the line, you know, I'm not in the line of work that really excites me. I feel like every day I'm just pulling myself out of bed and forcing myself to do this thing. Uh, I love the Joseph, Cam Joseph Campbell quote. He said, uh, the, I think it's the biggest tragedy of life is to climb to the top of the ladder and realize it's on the wrong wall. And there's so many people out there doing that. You have struck something right there. You've yes, really sir. struck something. This is a pet peeve of mine, Stephen. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I hear and I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last week. So many people use the word passion. Oh, I'm so passionate about this. I'm so passionate about that and this, that, and the other. I got to be honest with you. I wasn't super passionate when I got up this morning. I, I was I was still a little tired from travel. You know, we, we it, it took us a good while to get in last night, so we stayed. I so I watched the eleven o'clock news, which I never do. I never watch the mm -hmm. eleven o'clock news, but I stayed up because I wanted to see what was going on with my area, with the weather and, and and the road conditions and things like that. And I was tired this morning, but I knew I had a conversation scheduled with you, mm -hmm. and that kicked in my purpose. That kicked in yeah. the the okay. It's time to get up. It's time to go. You know, make make my my breakfast get started with this day because I've got things to do and that purpose kicked in. And I love what you said there about, you know, I, I, there, there are a lot of people that are hooked on a feeling, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're just kind of like, well, if I don't feel it, I'm mm -hmm. not going to do it instead of, and I love what you said, liking what God designed you to do. Maybe in life, God designed you to be an analytical thinker. And for all this time in your life, you've rejected that because you didn't feel it, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't sexy, so to speak. It wasn't cool or anything like that. And you just kind of push that off to the side. But what God designs you to do, that thing just draws at you subtly. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then and in my experience, I found in it, and then it draws at me a little harder. And then it really draws at me like, if you don't do this, you're going to miss it. When you're coaching people, how do you get them past? And I want to dive here for just a minute because there's something else that you said. So there's so a couple parts to this question. The first part is I want to jump back to your meeting with Forrest, the developer mm-hmm. of Six Sigma. You said in that in that dinner conversation, you enjoyed the dinner, you enjoyed the company you were with, but you you knew that that wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. Was there something about him though that fascinated you, that drew him drew you to him, other than what he had done? Was there something in his personality or something about him that drew you? And the second thing is, what do you want to draw out of people that you work with yourself? Yeah. Um... So first, first, just just for the Six Sigma people out there who are listening to this, so Bill Smith um, from Motorola in 1985 coined the phrase Six Sigma. Yeah, so, he was kind of the godfather. Yeah, he was the godfather. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. I just want, yeah, just a correction. Uh, so what was it about him? Well, it's interesting because I never, you know, I met, quote unquote, met him through a book uh, well before social media or any kind of interviews or anything. So I really, I was kind of coming into it very cold in terms of like knowing him. And I guess what, what, what struck me about him was just how consistent and how he just stayed in the game. Like the guy, I don't know his age. I know I'm, I'm, you know, just swinging wild ass guess. He's, he, he's probably in his early seventies. Um, and, and, you know, the guy could be retired. So I guess there's just something about how like consistently he continued to show up to do it. And, and that struck me, um, something about him. But like I said, I got, I got to a point where I kept listening to him and te- he was talking to me about what was, what makes him excited about doing the work that he does. And, and then I, at a certain point I completely checked out. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to, you know, let this guy eat his poke. He's going to get his second glass of wine. I'm going to thank him profusely, give him some uh, kudos here on uh, LinkedIn and, you know, talk about how, you know, you can meet your mentors, you can meet your heroes, you know, ultimately though, I was just, I was, I was done, you know, um, I, I, I knew I was done at that point. I knew I was done with six Sigma, right? Like my, I have probably 36 Sigma. I have like six ginormous six Sigma books that I, that I, I still think about, man, I need to take those over to half price books and get $4 (laughs) for each one of them. Pop those babies on eBay, right? Yeah. Pop those babies up on eBay. Maybe I should have had four sign my implementing. There you go, man. Yeah. I should have brought kicking myself now. Now you asked me what, how is it that I help draw that out of, of my clients? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I look for, uh, experiences that they've had. You know, so I ask them questions, right? Empowering questions to evoke uh, memories of times when they felt a certain way about something. Um, and, and it might be that they're looking at, you know, they've had a 20 year career and, you know, when were those times where it was, was hard for them to step away or they were most proud of something or, you know, it's really, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you kind of got to come at it a couple of different angles. I know like when I, when I uh, uh, 
vacuum the the carpet. You know, sometimes I'll cart, I'll vacuum one direction and I'll come at it another direction just to know that I'm going to get it clean. You, some, some, it's, it's more of an art than a science, at least in my opinion, in terms of coaching of asking the right question. And sometimes I'll ask questions. They'll be like, I don't know, or they'll have a very quick answer. And then sometimes I'll ask them and they'll go, huh, that's a great question. I haven't thought about this for a while. And I remember there was this time when I did this. And so it's really just, you know, there's, I, I, I don't, I don't have a real formula for mm -hmm. it. Maybe that's still something that I'm working on, mm -hmm. but I draw on, you know, these various books that I, you know, I, I mentioned the gay Hendrick book, uh, you, you know, that, that questions to ask people, about those peak experiences when they felt a certain way, because really, you know, even looking at the word emotion, right? Um, I think it comes from the Latin emover or something to that effect, if I remember correctly, and it means to move. So we are moved by our emotions. So they need to look back on these times where doing whatever it was made them feel a certain way. And, and then that's a clue of this, thing in your career, because let's face it, we get, because of the needs of the corporation, we get pulled into stuff that we're really not that great at, but it That's just right. needs to get done. Yeah, right? exactly. And, and the brilliant thing is to find, to kind of, you know, you get to a certain point, like I was talking to one of my clients yesterday and she's at a point where she's in this negotiation with a new company. And I asked her, I said, is there anything that they're asking you to do for this role that's outside of your zone of genius. And she, she, you know, she thought about it for a while and the answer was no. And I'm like, great. You know, that, that's freedom right there. Go forth and do right. Yeah. Go forth and do. So, so really, you know, it, it just, it, it has to do with that, like reflection, um, asking some evoking questions and, uh, letting a person sit with it. Now, what I've found is that with introverts though, being put on the spot is a, is a challenge for them when I'm asking those questions in a call. And so what I'll do is we'll, we'll kind of prime it like, Hey, what we're looking for. And then I'll send them off with some homework to, to write, you know, to type something up. And that's a lot easier for them when yeah. they have some time to reflect because they process uh, in their heads as opposed to with words. Exactly. Exactly. Let's step aside and take another break because I yes, want sir. to leave room for Steven's story. Okay. And, and you're going to want to hear his story. And I, 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 we, you know, we could, we could park here for a good while and have some dynamic conversation, but I would be remiss if we didn't stay save time for Steven's story. My guest, coach, trainer, TEDx speaker, Steven English joining me on the Intentional Courage podcast back in a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales and he's put a new twist to it and I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel 
feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Stephen, I want to, I'm going to kind of step back a little bit and, and let you tell your story. And you, you've alluded to it a, a little bit, you know, the kind of the midlife crisis that you went through a few years ago. But I really want to step back. I, I may jump in with a, a, a question or two around it. But go back as far as you want to go back and, and really uh, tell the folks your story and, mm. and, and the impact on your life that your story has had. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that that opening. And uh, I almost jokingly wanted to take you back to uh, Northeastern Ohio when I was uh, six months old. But um, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so, Which is not far from me, by the way. Northeastern yeah. Ohio is about four and a half hours from where I live. Yeah. So. Yeah. No doubt. It's, uh, yeah, you're, you're much closer to my hometown than I am at this point. I, uh, you know, yes, midlife, right? So I had just gotten divorced. I was drinking every single day. Uh, my, my routine, because I loved routines, you know, we all actually were all creatures of habit was, you know, get up in the morning, go to a job that I just really hated. It was an incredibly toxic work environment. I worked for Samsung, Austin Semiconductor, making the chips that go into your cell phones, iPads, uh, all kinds of different devices. At that time, it, we were just transitioning into making chips for the Apple uh, iPhone and I would go to work. I would try to leave as early as I could so that I could go drinking. Um, I would uh, come home and, and before, before I would go drinking, I would, I would say, okay, I need to get some exercise. So I would go mountain biking and that was probably the healthiest thing I did that day. Then I would go to the bar and uh, I would, I would, there was a bar that was literally 250 feet, 500 feet from my door when I lived in, uh, in this, these apartments and I would just stay there, you know, every night. Sometimes I would make the mistake of deciding to get in my car, um, and drive someplace. Uh, my last DWI was in 2014. And I say my last, meaning I, I had, I had multiple, you know, I had gotten arrested for driving with, uh, while intoxicated three times convicted twice and avoided that magic number three that would have landed me a felony. I was, uh, you know, my, I was miserable, right? Like the thoughts of, I hate myself. I hate my life were really, um, in, in a constant track in my head. I then, uh, started to ask myself, Hey, you know, what else is there? And I, I kind of already described a little bit about this self-reflection and, and then it, um, you know, while I was in the process of that and learning very slowly, uh, I then, I finally, I, I finally broke down and, and saw like, I mean, like the last time I had any consequence for my alcoholism was in June of 2014, which anybody who watches my TEDx, that's the story I'm talking about, which is I got a driving with license invalid. After that, it took me a couple of years to really wake up. And I remember August 29th, 2016. I, I was dating 
I am dating the same woman. Thank, thanks to God. He, he brought this wonderful, wonderful woman into my life who supported me. I mean, I gave this woman every reason to dump my ass. Um, you know, she's bailing me out of jail. Um, and, and I remember that day I said to her, you know, I had tears in my eyes. I had, uh, I drank probably three or four shots of vodka that morning. And it was, you know, I didn't drink during the day on a work day, but on a weekend I would start early. And I remember just handing her this bottle of vodka and I said, please take this from me. So please mm -hmm. take it. And, uh, she said, I'll save it for a special occasion. And I was like, well, also take this one too. And I went into the freezer and I grabbed another bottle. It was tequila. I gave her both of those. And I said, please take them. And, uh, that was the first stretch of, let's say a, a good length of sobriety. Now I had played around with sobriety since 2012 after another charge that I had. And that was a, that was a, a quintessential moment, right? So from that time, really till October, I was completely sober, you know, August 29th to October is really not that long. I remember it was October 4th. It was a Austin city limits concert. And I was there again with, with you know, I was there with my girlfriend and a, and a best friend. And I said to myself, wow, I went all this time without drinking. I'm going to allow myself a beer. And of course my friends, they're not in recovery. My girlfriend's not in recovery. So, you know, she's just like, you know, okay. And I remember my alcohol of choice, in addition to the, the clear liquors of, of, you know, vodka and tequila was, uh, IPA, right? Not isopropyl alcohol, but Indian pale ale. And I, and I remember taking a sip of Indian pale ale going, my God, this tastes so horrible. It's so bitter. My pat, my palate had actually changed in that time. And, uh, you know, it was in, in, and that was the day that I really, really learned this one lesson, which is controlled drinking is never fun and fun drinking is never controlled. And because I just had that one beer and I thought, you know, what the, what is this? You know, like I, I got nothing out of it. And so I went back and continued to have some sobriety, um, kind of off and on like that until another time. So I kept, I had 15 months of continuous sobriety after that. And then, uh, I had a, a brief relapse over, um, a holiday, you know, Christmas holiday time. And then, yeah, then January 6th, 2018, that was, that's my last sobriety date. And I really started to work the program of recovery. And what I mean by that is anybody who's knows anything about the any recovery knows, you, you know, there's, there's steps, there's fellowship and there's service work. And I remember when I got to my like third step, I remember asking my sponsor, I said, Hey, when can I help somebody else? And he said, you can help somebody else right now. And, and I started, I turned right around and I said, let me go get myself a sponsee. Let me help somebody. So I started helping people and that made all the difference, right? I don't know if it's the, if it's the, um, the, the humble pie you'd have to eat from telling somebody that you're, that you're helping like, Hey, guess what? I slipped and I started drinking. I don't know what it, what, what it is exactly. I mean, they talk about it in, in the literature that, that, uh, you know, we can, we can only, uh, keep our cup full if we pour it out. And, um, 
that that's what's happened. Right. And so, so, you know, in the backdrop, you know, you could say like from a health and wellness perspective, both mental health and physical health, there was this evolution that had, that happened. And then that, that, um, that time, you know, August 29th, uh, 2016 from there, you know, I had that, that time of sobriety, uh, at that point I started to really get all my feelings back. You know, they say the good part about sobriety is you get your feelings back. The bad part about sobriety is you get your feelings back. I started to hate my job and I really, really, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't drink it away. Right. I had no coping mechanisms for it. So I had to leave there. So I changed my career in 2017. I mean, not my career, my job. I mean, let me correct myself there. I, I changed my job in June of 2017. And then in October of 2018, I started the coaching thing and started teaching classes and effective presentation skills, um, you know, outside of work. Like I would take a day of PTO and I'd go teach a class and I just kept doing this, kept doing this. And then COVID hit and we went fully remote. And so it was a very interesting transition, right? Like in some regard, I could almost thank COVID mm -hmm. because it, it brought me to re completely remote work, which the coaching was, and it still is 90 something percent remote. It's all designed for that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's all, yeah. It's all designed I, for that lifestyle wise. I got to ask you this. Yes, sir. As you're telling your story, I'm putting myself in the moment there with your story and, and it's, you know, whether it's alcohol or with, with me food, you know, my, my, my kind of addiction has always been food. I love sweets, man. I, I mm. love it. Love it. But here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. If you could go back to, let's say, 2012, 2013, you could kind of put yourself in a time machine and you could go back and you could sit down across the table or, or in the living room with that Stephen. What <laughs> advice or encouragement would you give him now in that moment then? Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a tough one, man. Like, as you were asking me that question, I felt like I just want to reach across the table and slap him and also kind of want to hug him, <laughs> but, uh, and that's not, you know, that's not, un, <laughs> that's not uncommon, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, because, you know, people that you, were, you have been around during your recovery, I think mm. if you would ask a hundred people that question, that's probably the, you know, to, to borrow family feud, that's probably the top answer on the board. Yeah. You want to hug him and you want to slap him at the same time. Yeah. You know, what comes to mind is it's, it's actually, I've made a post about this. Um, and it's, and it's kind of hard to describe with, um, okay. So geez, I would, I would, I would explain to him that what he's experiencing is a low level sense of pain, like he's at a three on a, a scale of one to 10, but it's going to last a long friggin' time. But if he would simply yank the bandaid off, um, have, you know, but call it two weeks of really discomfort, you know, severe discomfort. Yeah. You know, that's what I was looking up. I was trying to find this image and I found it. 
And I know those, if, are you okay? And let me see my, oh, I'm not allowed to share screens, but. Um, yeah, let's put it up there. Yeah, please let's, go ahead. I'll, I'll just show for, this. For those of you on YouTube, we're going to do something. Yeah, I was just going to do never, something unusual. We've never done before and you're going to see it happen live. So, so here, so we're going to, we're going to share Steve, Steven's screen. Oh, well, you're sharing yours. Yeah, go, let me, uh. Let me do that here real quick. Anyway, tell us about it, though. I, yeah, I, I I'll just tell you. Pull, what I, I mean wish by we this, could pull off the... Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, and I apologize for, for wasting time yeah. here. But what, what oh, I'm good. getting at is it, it's kind of like the area under the curve. So you can just imagine kind of two curves, right? One is a very, very low-level dull pain for a long time versus a very tall spike. You know, so a, a, like a high level of pain. So what I do is I would show my 2012 self, this graph. And because I'm a bit of a nerd, you know, a physics degree, material science degree, I would understand exactly what that means. And I yeah. would say, look, the area under the curve of the dull sensation that you're currently experiencing is much larger than if you would just have two, three weeks, whatever it is, two days, two weeks, I don't know how long it would take you, right? Because uh, it, it, it doesn't, things don't take time, they take courage. Uh, I'm borrowing that quote from a friend of mine that I would, I would just say, look, let's do this a little bit quicker, right? So why continue to relapse? Why continue to uh, not double down on your dreams? But I have no regrets though. Honestly, like, you know, you're asking me that question. And, and as you were asking me, and I almost felt like saying I would tell him nothing. But uh, I, I guess I kind of wanted to jump in on being a little bit constructive to this. But no, I love that. The, 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 you know, because I think we're all a little bit that way, Stephen, is that, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way about my weight. My, my weight. I would go back to, to my 2006 self and say, my God, man, don't eat another slice of pie, you fat right. pig. You know, I would yeah. just be that brutally honest with myself. Yeah. And go, you know, I would have the conversation with me that my doctor had to have with me two years later going, do you want to die of a heart attack? You know, yeah. and, and, and again, I, you know, I, I think there is some real power in that brutal honesty with ourselves, because at that point, you would have known the journey you were on and go, man, I'm really trying to help you avoid a lot of these dangers that you're about to go down. And, and, yeah. and I had people that tried to intervene in my life with my way, my dad and some other mm -hmm. people. And I was just so, yeah, I'll, I'll handle it. I'll, I'll do it myself. I'll just kind of, so let, let me, as we finish the, the conversation, that's a great place there to transition. I want you, maybe there's somebody that's listening to this this morning that has struggled with something like that. It may not be alcohol. It may be something else that, mm -hmm. that there is a, I love what you said, that area of pain under the surface that just lays there, this continues to, to be there. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for somebody walking that road right yeah. now? Yeah. Get really clear on why it is you want to change something. Uh, that, that would be the first, first thing, you know, there's, I, I forget the Nietzsche quote, and you know, as many times as I find myself wanting to say it is like, you know, who, he who has a clear enough why can overcome any how. I'm totally, uh, you know, you know, paraphrasing it. No, but, that's good. That's good. It, but just true, right? Like if you are really, really clear on why you need to do this, and then for me, like I said, I'm the educational variety. It took me a long time. I mean, getting arrested in front of my son 
you know, like that, and you know, luckily I wasn't drunk. It wasn't a felony. It was just a, you know, driving with license invalid. I, it was such a strong thing. And then he gave me after that, that, uh, that father's day, that weekend, he gave me this little, uh, picture that I put in my bathroom and it was, you know, happy father's day, 2014, like my why at that point became, you know, my kids, you know, so get really, really clear. I think if somebody wants to change something, get really clear on why it is you want to change it. Don't worry about the how. You really need the leverage, right? You need the, the dang lever arm more than anything else to make it happen because the how is all out there, right? Like YouTube ad nauseum, books ad nauseum, people who are willing to help like myself ad nauseum, but you got to get clear on why it is you want to do something. Man, that is so good. Steven, tell folks how they can get connected with you, you know, if they want to reach out and, and uh, you know, have you maybe help their, their company or their themselves with some coaching. Uh, maybe they, they want to get past some of that introvertedness that they're feeling. Um, let folks know how they can connect with you. Yeah. On LinkedIn, real easy to find me. I'm the only Steven with a V, English, like the language, comma, P-C-C. That's professional certified coach. And uh, so you can find me really easily on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll give you uh, my link tree in the show that you can drop in the show notes, which will have all other ways of getting a hold of me, be it Facebook. Uh, I'm going to have links to my, my speech, uh, Finding Joy by Disappointing Others, which is my TEDx speech. Um, it'll have a, a link to having a 15-minute conversation with me, links to my website, et cetera, et cetera. My website is www.stevenenglish.net. Uh, I have a free offer on there for a, uh, a book on confidence. And uh, yeah, that's how they can get a hold of me. Man, that's fantastic. We will drop that link tree in the show notes and, and you can get connected with Steven. And man, this has been such a good conversation today. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Steven, thank you so much for joining me on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Thank you so much. You have My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.